SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. Joining me as always are Stefan Chin, producer of SciShow. Yeah, that's what I do. What's your tagline? Um, (laughs) Loving those strawberry puffs. Mm, I don't know what they are, but I like the sound of them. And we've also got Sam Schultz. Artist and editor on various SciShow projects. Mm -hmm. Sam, what's your tagline? Hey, future Sam. What's up? (laughs) <laughs> because you're going to listen to this gonna episode. hear that in about a month. We're also joined by Sari Riley, Hello. writer of content. How are you? I'm okay. Tired. Yeah. I think I'm always tired. You should have eaten more than two carrots today. Yeah. I ate at least four. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what's your tagline? Hitchhiking toast. And I'm Hank, 
Uh, I created SciShow and I like to hang out with these people and make SciShow tangents. My tagline is, I ate at least four. (laughs) (laughs) Every week on SciShow Tangents, we get together, try it up to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score, awarding Hank bucks that we can use to do things with, maybe? We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations and also the name of the podcast, we may not be able to do that. So if the rest of the team deems a tangent unworthy, we will force you to give up one of your Hank Bucks, so tangent with care. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. There is grandeur in this view, powers breathed into one or into a few, whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravitation. From so simple a beginning as our planet kept spinning, I propose this great mystery finally solved. Endless forms most beautiful have been and are being evolved. That was my adaptation, my poem adaptation of the last lines of on the Origin of Species mm. by Charles Darwin, oh. the subject of our of our podcast today. I'm just going to read to you the actual lines. There is grandeur in this view of life, with its several powers, having been originally breathed into a few forms or into one, and that, whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. That book... A little thick in some places, but that is a spot-on ending. I like yours better. You did a little, you did a little punch up to. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a while. You know, yeah. we talk a little different now. We have new words and stuff. Sari, what's Charles Darwin? <laughs> um, he's a man. Oh. Was was a man. Yeah. Um, biologist and best known for his contributions to evolution. Mm-hmm. You might know him for natural selection. That's like the big idea. <laughs> I don't know who I'm talking to, the people yeah. in this room or the podcast audience. Uh, you might know him for <laughs> ideas such as natural selection. <laughs> the, the, Galapagos the, finches. The process through which all things happen. Mm-hmm. The the understanding of biology. Yeah. yeah. Those are his hits. <laughs> he has some deep cuts too. He has some deep cuts. <laughs> there's some there's some great moments like that. There's a really good uh scene in I think Voyage of the Beagle, where he uh, is trying to learn how to use a, a slingshot to like <laughs> catch an animal, and he just like cu- like catches himself and falls oh, off a horse. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, he also ate basically every animal he found. He was a big food guy. He's part of like a club where they ate all the animals, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So he mm. would like find animals, study them, and be like, oh, "I got to take a snack too, <laughs> just in case." <laughs> but all the barnacles? Did he eat the barnacles? That doesn't Ooh, sound. Like I don't food. know. Eh. Sounds like a lot of work. Crack it open. To eat a barnacle. Probably had somebody to do it for him. <laughs> he was kind of he was an aristocrat. Rich, right? yeah. yeah. His wife was very wealthy. Uh, he married up. And he got to just traipse around the globe looking mm-hmm. at an- weird animals. That was before the marriage, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think he got onto the HMS Beagle because they needed an extra person. I feel like, and he, he was just like, I'm a naturalist. To be a scientist at this time, you had to be some degree of rich. Yeah. What I read was that they needed somebody to be the captain's friend. And they usually (laughs) liked that person to be the captain's friend, also have like a skill. Uh So they tried to get other people to come on the boat and nobody wanted to do it. And then eventually they were like, will you do it? And he was like, okay. And uh, also he was unpaid, I think, for his thing. Sure. His, I don't see why you would be paid to yeah, do that. So who's going to pay you for that? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Is that where first mate comes from? Yeah, it must be. 
That's why they call yeah, it my first, first mate. mate. Yeah. <laughs> captains are so lonely. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Which one of you wants to be my I professional say, friend? I do you need a friend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge of the company, and I need one of you to just sign up to be on my boat all the time. Yeah, you can also do naturalist stuff if you want. Collect beetles and such. Oh, that sounds hard. Yeah. Do we have to do that part? <laughs> or just like, ta- like help me take care of Orn and play board games with me? That sounds perfect. <laughs> I would do that. Sam's in. Yeah. All right. Perfect. I'm so happy. I think everybody roughly knows who Charles Darwin is, but there are lots of things that we don't know about Charles Darwin, which we're going to get to in this podcast. I feel like I know a lot, but I anticipate all of you surprising me today, so don't let me down. So it's time to start that off. Are you guys ready to science fact me? Well, Sam is here for He has brought three science facts for the rest of us for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is true. The rest of us have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess which one is the true fact. If we get it right, we get a Hank Buck. If we don't, then Sam gets the Hank Buck. Sam, hit me with your facts. So Charles Darwin wrote On the Origin of Species, but he also wrote a bunch of other books, too, with a bunch of other wacky ideas in it that you don't hear about as much. So which one of these is a book he wrote? One, a book about parasitic insects peppered with musings on the existence of God. A book about why people have eyebrows and blush. Or a book about how Robert Fitzroy, the captain of the HMS Beagle, was a giant idiot. <gasps> oh, I thought he, I thought he hired him to be his buddy. Well, this was after the fact. So those are the three books that B- Darwin might have written. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give me su- summarized versions of them all. Parasitic Insects and God, Eyebrows and Blushing, or Robert Fitzroy is an Idiot. Okay, those are our three. <laughs> I know that he was into all kinds of weird animal stuff, but I, like in my experience, he doesn't muse a lot about God. He hmm. tends to avoid the topic. Hmm. In hmm. fact, when the uh, the intro that I, or the outro, like the last lines of On the Origin of Species that I read to you, that was the original edition outro. And then the all subsequent editions had extra words in it to say not breathed into existence, but breathed by the creator into existence. Who made the change? Darwin did because uh, a lot of people got mad. Too oh. spicy. Because he said just like, it it occurred. Huh. Mm. Whereas people were like, it occurred by God? <laughs> <laughs> like, we know how it occurred, Darwin. Uh-huh. Already, the stuff you're saying is not making me super comfortable. <laughs> right. But like, to not even mention. And then he was like, fine, by God. And then he later expressed regret that he did that. Huh. Um so he doesn't tend to want to talk a lot publicly about God, but I could be wrong. I definitely don't know as much about earlier. Darwin as you, but it seems weird to me for him to trash Cap- Robert yeah, Fitzroy that doesn't in seem- a whole book. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a chat book, you know. Yeah. It's just like a blog post, a basically. Vlog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like could be his log from being mm-hmm. on the ship, That's and then true. he trashed the captain right. throughout it. And yep. I think Sam would distill that down to be that uh, book title. Well, and I do wonder about <laughs> Eyebrows and Blush and if that's just um, the book about human evolution stuff. Darwin also did expression and emotion research, I think. He maybe shocked people's faces and what? stretched them in weird <laughs> angles and directions to make- Charles Darwin? Maybe, yes. I I remember We're going to have to look it up yeah. after this because you can't look it up now because then we'll be ruining We'll thing. know the lie. But yeah. I think he made exaggerated expressions on people's faces through some sort of pain and then had people look at them and be like, are they bored? Are they scared? 
Are right. they excited? Maybe huh. I have heard about this. And studied that somehow. So mm. that, I don't know if he wrote a whole book about it, though, or if it right. was just a study that he did. Say the second one again. A book about why people have eyebrows and blush. That seems like a lot of That's a long book for those <laughs> two things. Was that just a part of the book? Because Descent of Man talks about a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, answer the question first. <laughs> <laughs> were they blushing while they were electrocuted? All right, somebody, uh, somebody, go. I don't want to go first. I think it's, I think it's number two. Yeah, eyebrows, eyebrows and, blush. and blushing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with parasitic insects and God. I know it's parasitic insects and God. Ooh. You know it is. I'm like, oh, this wow. makes me think it's wrong. So in case uh, maybe I screwed up because <laughs> it is definitely the blushing and eyebrows. Oh! Shoot, no. I was so confident. Never mind then. So the third book that Darwin wrote was The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals, where he studied animal faces and human faces and was like, all humans and animals express certain emotions in very similar ways. And then he came up with the idea that no matter your culture, there are certain emotions that every human expresses the same way, which people did not like. Mm -hmm. I'm not Probably for racism reasons, I would imagine. Sure. And then he declared that at the end of the book, that blushing was the weirdest thing and the most human thing, and like no other, nothing else blushed oh. except people. I don't think he really like tried to guess why. But so the it's the, so weird. So this is weird to me that like Charles Darwin wrote a book about natural selection and evolution, something that people are still doing active and complicated and important research on. Uh-huh. And he was like, I'm done with that. I'm going to move on to facial shocks <laughs> and, and animal faces, which I guess is also important. But like, I feel like you stick with what you know. Yeah. There's lots of work to be done here still. He was really old. So I think he's yeah. sitting around his house looking at pictures of people with shocked faces that he got from some French guy whose name I can't remember. And he was like, I don't think the facial expressions being made by the shock tests are, like, real. Because these French Mm. researchers had come up with, like, Mm. 60 different emotions that humans could have. And Darwin thought there were less than that. And that there was, like, a set amount of core human emotions. So he would show his friends the pictures and be like, what is this one? What is this one? And any of them where the people were like, well, that could be anger or happiness or something, then he would throw that one out. Right. And he Did, just narrowed it down. So uh, we were real wrong. Yeah, we. what's wrong about it? I want to know. <laughs> so the, the book about parasitic insects, Pepper with God thing, he didn't write a whole book about it, but he wrote a letter to one mm. of his friends where he had uh. just learned about parasitic wasps, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And it, they had made him think that there was no such thing as a... Uh, kind and benevolent God in a world where there could be <laughs> bugs that would put their babies into caterpillars and let them eat their way out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that convinced you? Mm-hmm. What a sheltered life you lead, my friend. I guess you don't have C-SPAN. Yeah, that's true. It is pretty horrifying. <laughs> it is, but like worse things happen. Yeah. It's just a caterpillar. It's just a caterpillar. That's true. <laughs> I did read about that letter and the fact that I think cats chasing mice for yeah, some reason he like also he didn't like. He didn't like them playing with them before they ate them. Oh. Yeah, Those he are was the like, two things. no God, because the cats are playing with these mice and <laughs> yeah. torturing them. That's well, it. He's, I guess everybody has their own path. He seemed like a super emo dude. I kind of like when I read his stuff, I like, I think I kind of like him. He seems cool. And then the last one, the Fitzroy thing, he seemed to like Fitzroy up until the very end. Mm. He helped him get Mm. into the Royal Society, which is like the science thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when Fitzroy died, he helped his widow pay off some debts that he left. But Fitzroy came back from the trip 
pissed off because he felt guilty that he wrote this book about like disproving God stuff and Fitzroy was pretty holy. Mm. So he So Fitzroy was mad that Darwin wrote the book. Yeah. So he was disappointed and like he felt embarrassed that he helped him, like he brought him on this trip where this book came Aww. out that disproved a lot of stuff that he believed in. And he would give talks and stuff about how Darwin was wrong. And he was kind of like a science skeptic at the end of his life, it seemed like too. So it was kind mm. of the other way around. Yeah, Fitzroy thought, kind of trashed Darwin. He thought, Darwin and then was even afterward, idiot. Darwin was like, "Hey, he's gone, and I like you, widow of Fitzroy, who <laughs> yeah. trashed my work a lot. Yeah, here's you know a hundo to deal with those debts. <laughs> it actually literally was a hundred pounds. I think is all, <laughs> <laughs> which was a lot. Was you it? Know. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I get, it's more than a hundred dollars. I get two. What's the Hank book to pound? conversion rate i don't think that you can trade one for the other because we no. really need to not be creating currencies yeah we've uh, seen how that can go okay no cash value no cash value the government gets mad at you okay sorry <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a cryptocurrency hang <laughs> yeah. well coming up Stefan and sari will go head to head in a fact off but first a message from our sponsors Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. All 
All right, we are back. Hank Buck, check in, Sari. You're coming in at a big old nil. I've got one for my poem. Sam's got two for his excellent duplicitous science facts. And <laughs> Stefan was correct. I got it. And got one. Good guesser. Now it's time for the fact off where Sari's going to go head to head with Stefan, bringing science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees will each have a Hank Buck to award to the fact that they like the most. However, if both facts are a giant snooze, the presentees can choose to not award our Hank Buck and instead we could throw them in the Hank Buck trash. We're going to decide who goes first by who's been closest in their lives to a dolphin. Because in the show <laughs> Sequest DSE, DSV, what? the dolphin was named Darwin. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I've pet a dolphin before. So you've touched a dolphin. I've touched a dolphin. I... Maybe kissed a dolphin. Oh, Don't my. remember. I was small. Uh-huh. Okay, Sarah's so touched a dolphin. <laughs> I'm not. I'm no dolphin kisser. <laughs> <laughs> How close have you been to a dolphin? Uh, I may have seen a dolphin show at SeaWorld or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I wasn't in the splash zone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember very specifically. I did not I allow would. myself to be splashed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I very remember very specifically. I didn't want to touch the dolphin, really. Oh. I felt like I wanted to be gentle with it. And they were like, Lean in close for a kiss so you can take a picture in our family vacation. <laughs> yeah, and you were like, leave this poor man alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Sarah, I guess that means you're going first. Okay. Dolphin kisser. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's my new tagline. So a big part of Darwin's biology research was trying to explain how dispersal happened of animals and plants and everything besides mm-hmm. just how evolution happened. So, like, this is a question of can a bean cross an ocean? Which sounds silly, but was a valid question at the time because Mm -hmm. creationism was big and people thought a god chose where to put all the rhinos and pine trees and everything. So Darwin started with some basic experiments. He dunked seeds in jars of salt water for weeks and then planted them. They got goopy and stinky, but a good number of them grew. Hmm. But then he was like, oh shit, most of these seeds sank in the water, which would not work for an ocean Mm. voyage. So he tried out dried seeds, which floated a little better, and then started involving animals. So he tried to feed the seeds to fish, which spat them out, which was super disappointing, and he got mad at them. Uh, <laughs> and Did you write down? Like, sorry, continue. <laughs> I have a quote from him, which is great. great. So after that, maybe as revenge, he stuffed seeds into dead fish and then fed the fish to birds who are much less picky eaters and he searched through the bird poop and vomit for seeds and a few grew which was really cool and exciting for him and lastly in my favorite of his weird experiments he took dead duck feet don't know why he didn't use a whole duck he just Uh. took their feet swirled them around in tanks to see if tiny freshwater snails would hitch a ride and could survive an air long enough to be hypothetically flown from pond to pond. And they did. Mm. So he did all these weird mm. experiments. What? So why did he get mad at the fish? And how do you know that? <laughs> um, so the quote is, when lo and behold, the fish ejected vehemently and with disgust equal to my own, all the seeds from their mouths. <laughs> I love it. People don't write science like that anymore. You're not supposed to have opinions. And it's like, lo and behold, when these little dick turds spat all my seeds out, ending in a result that I do not prefer. Yeah. I'm supposed to have prefer- preferences, Darwin. Yeah, the paragraph starts with, everything has been going wrong with me lately. <laughs> He's so Sweet. He's such an emo darling. Yeah. yeah. He'd be so good at Twitter now, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. He'd be a weird Twitter scientist. Yeah. Well, yep. delightful. Uh, it's delightful. People have I'll a lot see. of free time back then. Yeah. <laughs> no. They didn't have internet. You can't. No, he was doing important research. You can't say they had a lot of free time back then. Darwin was like finding out amazing shit. If they had Netflix, he wouldn't have done any of it. 
<laughs> if yeah. only he could have been watching Great British Bake Off, he no, never would have squirreled dead duck I'm feet glad and snails. He didn't have Netflix, but he would have watched all of Sabrina like the night it came out. <laughs> As he was swirling dead duck feet and yeah. snails, you can multitask. You can do both. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can do both. Get you a Darwin who can do both. <laughs> Stefan, it is now your turn. Darwin, as we sort of uh, mentioned earlier, was fascinated with barnacles Mm -hmm. and wrote a couple uh, monographs on barnacles, which are just like explorations of uh, a species or group of species. In particular, he seemed kind of fascinated by like the reproduction and penises Mm. of barnacles. Sure. Uh, And I have an excerpt of a letter to one of his friends uh, where he asks, was the penis inserted into more than one individual? For how long? How many times was it inserted? Was it inserted deeply? At which end of the valves? Did it keep its opercula valves widely open for the reception of the organ? Oh, I am anxious to know whether oh, this recipient yeah, was a willing agent or adulterer. Oh my God. And this What's is, a like, willing yeah. agent in a barnacle? What's a barnacle? How can adulterer? Yeah, yeah, Charles Darwin, answer me questions. <laughs> That was that was an amazing set of questions. I just like that he was really concerned about barnacle consent. Um, <laughs> he had good reason to be fascinated about barnacle dicks because they are the longest dicks in relation to body size in the animal kingdom. You know, also it's just interesting. It doesn't, <laughs> oh, sure. it doesn't have to yeah. be. It doesn't ultimately. Well, you, are you saying that Darwin was only interested in barnacle dicks because they're so long? No, they're, there's they're more weird. to they it than just all, size, Stefan. They like they flop around randomly looking for neighbors they can poke. Yeah, okay. They can change length. They can change shape. Uh, mm. They can become thicker if there's too many waves and things happening. Mm. I just the like the excitement that comes across <laughs> in his like rapid fire like tell me about the opercula valves. <laughs> Who was he asking? Mm. Were these rhetorical <laughs> questions he was just throwing uh, out there? Or? No, he really wanted to know. He was like he was like you have not told me enough about this barnacle sex. You have attempted to relay to me useful information, but it is as if you have no idea all of the interesting and necessary pieces okay. of information I need. So he was writing to a barnacle expert. Yeah. He wasn't writing to like his aunt or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> He he had heard that a friend of his friend had oh. seen this happen. Mm. So he wrote a letter to his friend being like, can you get in Talk touch to with your friend, <laughs> ask them these questions, oh my God. and send me a letter back? It's wow. so good. These are such relatable problems he has. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just the whole time he has a tummy ache. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, we didn't even talk about how sick he was. It must have been so annoying to not be able to just text people these questions and have to yeah. wait for like a year. And be like writing a letter to your friend so that your friend can ask your other friend about <laughs> yeah. like the valves on a barnacle. And your other friend is just like, I don't I don't know. I only watched him do it once. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a video. I'm trying to figure out if he ever ate barnacles. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely people who eat barnacles. Um, that's a That's a thing. But I don't have any proof that Darwin did it. Mm. He definitely ate a lot of other stuff, though. He ate those Galapagos tortoises. He had a pet one, too, right? Yes. But he was, like, very old. Yeah. Right? Went to Australia, traveled the world, died a couple years ago. It ended up in Steve Irwin's zoo. Oh, Oh. I didn't know that one. Wow. What a a collectible. This is getting awfully close to a tangent. Let us award our Hank Bucks. Okay, I think that all Darwin facts are beautiful. But I think I'm going to give it to Sari because the duck feet thing is pretty funny. Okay, I'm also awarding to Sari. Uh, I like an underdog. And now Sam and Sari are tied. (laughs) But big penis. 
Is that such a good fact? <laughs> so now sorry. give me the bucks. All right, now it is time for Ask the Science Couch. This week, we got Sam delivering us a science question. Gabriella asks, assuming he didn't get everything right, how did Darwin's theory of evolution differ from our current understanding of evolution? Oh, Okay, so the traditional way that the science question works is that I, like, fumble my way around and then Sarah answers the question. So here's me fumbling. Okay. In detail ways, Uh like, the overarching thing of, like, natural selection, like, evolution through natural selection, like, is still a thing. Pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there there were lots of, like, attempts to work out the fine details that were correct and lots that were you know, missed the mark a little bit and watched that we're pretty wrong. So I guess the, the main principles are mutations occur, like changes just occur naturally and they are random changes. And if they increase fitness, then they will perpetuate through like not dying and having more sex. Mm-hmm. And that those changes can also be more than just fitness. Like he also talked about that, which is something that is a little weird, but like selection for things like giant antlers is not about being good at eating and being good at finding food. It's just about like being impressive. Mm-hmm. So like the antlers aren't there to help you live a better life. They're there to signal that you are successful. Mm-hmm. And so like he was right about that stuff too, that like ultimately it was signals of success and actual success that led to better chances for mating and longer lives for the animals, and that allowed these traits to perpetuate through a population, and those traits perpetuating and those changes occurring added up over time to species differentiating themselves from each other. Hmm. Did I do okay? Is that true? Yeah. That was, like, very good. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the only thing I would add to that is that all those changes adding up also meant that all species were related to each other, which yeah. wasn't a ah. given at the time. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, no, yeah. And, like, even now, we're not a hunt, like, hundo on that. There is still the possibility that life evolved more than once mm. on Earth that we do not all tie back to one common ancestor. That, was, that is a, a controversial idea. Not a lot of people would be like, yes, we should explore that. But there's some thought that, like, maybe... You know, things like phospholipid bilayer may have evolved separately from RNA or something, where, like, you had two organisms that, like, came together and became our one common ancestor. The idea that instead of one common ancestor, there are, like, a bunch of things experience abiogenesis. Right. And then from that, a tree emerged. Mm -hmm. That doesn't feel like it's that big of a shift from our current No, you're right. It's not—it doesn't, like, affect— Darwin's theory at all. The only thing it affects is like how likely it is for life to evolve and also the story of those first organisms, which is a story Mm -hmm. that probably we will never know. Yeah. And that's sad because it's very weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did he get wrong? So I liked the way that she phrased the question because Hank's right. Like he got a lot right. Mm -hmm. He got so much right that he was able to predict evolutionary relationships that we hadn't discovered yet. Like Mm -hmm. one story that I particularly like is there's an orchid that has a really long nectary. So in order to get to the nectar part of it, it's like very deep. He was like, I don't know what pollinates this, but I predict that there's some sort of moth with an extremely long proboscis that no one had discovered. Mm -hmm. And then 150 years later or something, people found this big ass moth with a very long (laughs) 
proboscis. Cool. So like his ideas were so solid that he could just throw out a guess like that. Yeah. And uh-huh. I bet like if Great. Darwin found out about that, if he like like was still alive 150 years later, he'd be like, oh, cool. But like a little <laughs> bit sad still. But I was wrong about so many other things. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so it seems like most of the things that he was quote unquote wrong about were just things that he didn't have evidence for at his time. Mm-hmm. So he had really good ideas broadly about speciation and how it happens because of different environmental pressures, but he didn't predict all of the ones that we know about today. So, Mm. for example, it's not only species like on the Galapagos Islands, finches competing over the same resources. A lot of times speciation happens because of big events. So maybe a group of beetles ends up on the other side of a mountain range somehow. And so it's Mm -hmm. thrown into a completely different environment, Uh split from the original population and Mm -hmm. those speciate or... I don't know, various factors like that that he didn't necessarily predict and pinpoint Mm -hmm. that we now know exist. He knew that evolution took time. And at the time, creationism gave a span of about like 6,000 years for things to develop Mm -hmm. after a god put them in places. Um, At the time, we thought that 100 million years was an extremely long time. That was fossil records stretched back about that far. And even then, he was super confused by flowering plants because he was like um the fossils back then don't look like the plants that we have today okay or in his contemporary time so they Mm -hmm. look like weird lumpy trees all of a sudden we have this diversity of plants and as far as i can tell he thought that that threw off his his theories because he was like i i don't understand how this slow process happened so quickly for so many plants Mm -hmm. a little did he know that we have we billions have, of we years. We have more time to yeah. work with than that. Like hundreds of times more time to work with than mm-hmm. that. And the biggest place that he was off base was genetic inheritance. So he had all uh-huh. these really good oh. ideas about how animals evolve and how biology happens. But the mechanism of right. genetics was happening at the time. Mendel was working in the 1850s yeah. as mm-hmm. like this little Gregorian monk who is the person <laughs> who we think is the like the founder of modern genetics and learned about alleles and bred his pea plants. But no one paid attention to him at the time. He was just hanging out with pea plants by himself. So Darwin came up with a theory that he called pangenesis, which is basically the idea that the mode of inheritance is our cells have particles called gemules that get passed down from Mm. parents. So he thought all cells just kind of sprayed out these particles, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. So they get passed down. They They construct the new cells somehow and the mixture of these gem- gemules create variations. And he still believed in blended inheritance at the time, which right. is the idea that like a black cat mating with a white cat would make a gray cat rather mm. than independent assortment of alleles. And yeah. he was not unique in that. Like everyone yeah. believed in blended inheritance. No, it really should have worked that way. It should yeah. have? That's yeah. like how video games work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it certainly makes the most sense. And like mm-hmm. that's why Mendel's work was so weird and why it changed things so much when mm-hmm. people sort of rediscovered it. That is a testament to this thing that happens sometimes where you're like, you know, Darwin did a great job of like figuring out like the explanatory power of natural selection And then it was like, well, this has to happen somehow. And instead of saying like, but I don't know how, he did that thing where he was like, here's a theory. But I guess there's still like explanatory power behind that. And you have to walk down those paths. And if, you know, suddenly like a white cat and a black cat make babies and half of them are white and half of them are black and none of them are gray, then you have to say gemules aren't explaining things correctly. 
let's go back to the drawing board. But if Darwin had enough free time to be stuffing seeds into dead fish, I think he could have grabbed a black cat and a white cat and had them mate. Yeah, he tested it during his lifetime. I think he took his his cousin, who also Uh-oh. did a lot of stuff, and they they didn't mate rabbits, but they took oh, blood. Uh, <laughs> well, to be clear, he, he did mate with his cousin. He married yeah, his cousin. Yeah. Oh, oh, not yeah, different cousin. Yeah, um, this was he, his other cousin, his bad cousin. Right? This is his like kind of racist cousin yeah. that he took. Mm. Um, and so they took rabbits, and I believe they took blood from one rabbit and injected it into another, because by Darwin's theory of mm-hmm. gemules the blood cells have these inheritable particles and mm. are spewing them out. Mm-hmm. And so they tried doing that and then mated that rabbit, see if it made babies. Mm. And like no traits from the original blood rabbit wow. transferred to it. And so they were just like, I don't know. It doesn't seem to work, but we have nothing better. And yeah. Yeah. no one was listening to Mendel at the time. So, <laughs> but science is beautiful. And even Darwin makes mistakes. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that makes me sound like No, I'm he does. A he falls off boy. horses. Yeah. And- <laughs> You're, are you not a Darwin fanboy? He's all right. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Oh, God, I'm a Darwin fanboy. I think he seems like a real cutie. <laughs> if you want to ask the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. All right, so our final Hank Buck scores. Sari came back. Woo-woo. Tying Sam with two Hank Bucks, and Stefan and I are tied in his second oh, because I denied I you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all win, though, because we all learned a little something about Charles Darwin. <laughs> all right, if you like this show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. First, leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. That's super helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment of this episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for tangents, just tell people about us. Thanks for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroka Matsushima, and our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The Darwin bark spider is only a couple centimeters big, but its butt can shoot out a lot of silk. Their webs can span a river 25 meters wide, and the silk is one of the toughest biomaterials out there.